1: No, not Linda Swain. Doesn't sound like her either. This is uh, Brian Callahan in for Linda the rest of the week, actually, Um, here on News Talk, my throat clears up for me. Um, And, of course, News Talk is exactly what what it is. It's a chat about the news stories of the day. Um, which can vary greatly from day to day, as we all know. Uh, last week, of course, we were consumed with the tragedy involving the um, the Titan submersible, <clears throat> and uh, that's, of course, still making its way through the rounds. This week, of course, in the aftermath and in the investigations, the multi-number of investigations uh, involved around that uh, that uh, tragic circumstance. And, of course, so we're into Tuesday of the week here now, and there's so much news on the go. Sometimes a sports story can usurp or uh, trump the news, and that's the case for me at the moment. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of you, but in case you haven't heard, Alex Newhook is a Montreal Canadian. He is now a Hab, was traded today to the Montreal Canadiens, arguably the second greatest uh, trade or shake-up with the Habs after Patrick Waugh's unceremonious departure back in the 90s to, that, to ironically enough, the uh, Colorado Avalanche. So, um, you know, great, um, interesting relationship with the Habs and the Avalanche over the years. But, uh, of course, um, uh, this, is a, this was out of the blue just a short time ago that it uh, broke um, coming out of NHL news alerts. So, um, yeah, Alex, Newhook's, uh, Alex Newhook is a Hab, so it should be great TV watching this uh, coming up this year. I mean, it's not like we get a lot of ha- Avalanche games, that's for sure, but um, the Habs are never hard to find, and that's going to be fun and a half, to tell you the truth. Other than uh, that, maybe we can get Alex on the, on the horn, uh, Claudette. Just give me a shout there, will you, and let me know when you got him on the line. And uh, other than that, some more serious news to get to, of course. Um, police confirming today the identity of the man who was shot and killed um, at the Regatta Plaza in St. John's a couple of weeks ago now uh, as Omar Mohammed and um, this had been circulating throughout various news reports given um, that there were acquaintances and friends who believed that he was the victim but they were having so much difficulty um, reaching a next of kin, which is the protocol in these situations, of course. You have to reach out and do your best to find the next of kin in fatalities and situations like this before you go and release the identity and that sort of thing, and that's just common respect for the relatives and anyone affected, but um, uh, they had a, a real hard time uh, tracking down Mr. Uh, Muhammad's family and relatives uh, in his native Sudan, and uh, today uh, based on um, you know acquaintances of uh, Mohammed Omar Mohammed here in the city, uh, CERT NL, the Serious Incident Response Team um, charged with the investigation into this shooting, uh, officially released the identity and confirmed that it is Omar Mohammed who was shot in that incident. No other details about what happened in that uh, building at Regatta Plaza a few weeks ago yet. Um, yeah, the details of course will come out in due time as uh, CERT NL continues in- investigation. Other news going on today, um, uh, Yvonne Jones was up in Labrador, we'll get to that, uh, an announcement there involving the Scully Mine, um, how things change. uh, To um, uh, inactive back in 2014, now looking at more opportunities, back into the critical minerals. And uh, other news we'll get to, uh, there's just lots of stuff going on, um, including a case in court this morning uh, involving, you may recall, the urban market in the Christmas house, um, over on La Marchant Road in St. John's. So last year, they tried to do an opening, um, but and uh, had to apply for the proper permits and that sort of thing. Um, but there was a snafu there, and it eventually led to a charge against uh, the owners, uh, the development company there that's uh, trying to develop that area and around the Brookfield factory and um and trying to make a go of it there, and there's lots of vendors and lots of customers for it, and we all know how much we'd love to support small business in the city, but the city um, uh, yanked its approval. After approving the permit, uh, they uh, shut down the operation, saying there were safety concerns and they didn't have the paper copy. Now, I'm getting into all of this detail, um, even though I have one of the co-owners of that property on the line with us right now. Um, Ivy Hanley, are you there?
2: I am the hair Brian, and so is Greg Hanley as well, uh, my husband and business partner.
1: Right, I being Greg. And uh, so you had some good news today, albeit, boy, it's been a tough little slog over the past uh, almost uh, six to seven months. Um, why don't you break the news?
2: Yeah, uh, we were actually found, they dropped the case uh, due to lack of evidence provided by the city of St. John's. Um, which it was a major relief for our families, employees and vendors, um, being that, you know, we've spent this four, four times we've been to court now regarding this matter. And uh, in those four times, the city was unable to prove uh, the charges they had laid against us.
1: Right now, just as a small, maybe we could—I don't know—people remember the Coles notes. Maybe I'm getting too old for this, but the Coles notes version, Greg. Maybe you could just give us the the general how this played out last year and how the permit came to how it had to be a paper copy uh, in order to get those inspections completed.
3: Well, we actually applied for the uh, for the you know to occupy that space, which was formerly. uh, office space right. uh, within the Brookfield ice cream factory. And uh, we applied um, you know, 65 days prior uh, to all this. And so the city has a due process um, because it is zoned, although there's not much retail on La March and but because it's zoned industrial, you're not allowed to actually sell anything from an industrial zone. Mm uh so we had to apply for a discretionary use uh to be able to sell from that specific location uh which we did do so and we you know went through the process with the city uh and it was approved uh, eventually it was approved uh it was approved by council mm-hmm. um and uh we in our and our permit was ready we were unable to obtain the permit uh due to it not being in the system and whatnot. And, yeah. You know, we had an opening date that we were, uh, you know, trying to meet. We, you know, it's a short sale season between, you know, when we were open and then Christmas. Right. So time was a limiting factor. And we had, uh, you know, substantial amount invested into this and uh, as well as our vendors, which we have, you know, over 380 Jeez. local vendors that make local product, had invested, you know, their time and uh, into it as well. Yeah. And so we decided to, uh, you know, to take the risk and open. Uh, we, we were aware of, you know, uh, a couple issues that were still outstanding. And uh, we were in the process of actually rectifying those and working with the city. The city, you know, you know, the inspectors and planning had been working with us through the whole process and, and you know, and, this, and we continue to do so on, on other projects. Um, But during that time, they found the time... Mm -hmm. Uh, We were still unable to obtain our permit, but they they did find the time to have us charged uh, for opening without uh, occupancy.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one of these things. I mean, we all know, uh, you know, regulations are in place, but not every infraction deserves punishment. And, you know, I mean, this being Exhibit A, I mean, like you said, the the communication lines were open back and forth. It's not like this was malice. You weren't trying to slip something by. You waited, you had council approval. This sounds very much just like, um, you know, a paper exercise that uh, just didn't come to fruition soon enough and you're up against these timelines. You see, it, it, was it frustrating not to have that understanding on the on the, uh, city side? Now, I know you still have to work with the city and I don't expect, you know, I mean, this is done and over with now and I, wa- I imagine you want to move on. But still, it seems like there could have been a little more flexibility here.
3: Yeah, like I, you know, I personally think that the city needs an ombudsman uh, to uh, actually help businesses navigate the city's bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that would go a long way on the city's part. Uh, it is very difficult sometimes, and I don't know all the city's regulations, um, and neither does my partner Ivy, and and you know, sometimes it's very hard to find them. You know, yeah. even navigating their website or whichever, but. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I have always felt I've got a good relationship with the city. Uh, I think that they could do a lot more uh, to support and help local small business and local business in general. Um, it seems to be that, you know, it, it, it's a it's a tough one to navigate sometimes. And I understand the regulations as well, and and you know, safety is of uh, most concern. Uh, but um, you know, it's a. Yeah. Uh, one of those fine things that I may have And Brian, you know,
2: like With your question you just asked, I really do feel that what was missed by the city was that neither Greg nor myself, Ivy, or any of the employees of Urban Market had any ill intent towards the public or the city. We were at risk of losing it all financially as a small family business. And after 65 days of attempting to have the proper piece of paper that they wanted, uh it wasn't enough time for them so they gave us the vacate order on November 10th on November 12th we were issued a temporary occupancy mm. because we went to the you know we went to the media and pressure went on and nothing changed physical between those two days so yes, it, yeah. it is really frustrating that it was more of a paper issue versus yeah a safety issue in our opinion.
1: And when you consider all the uh, implications, you know, I mean everything small business have been through in the last few years, let alone COVID, but on top of that, the increasing costs that come with anything you try to do in open now, the different uh, you know, uh, fees and regulations and all that sort of thing, trying to follow all those deadlines. You know, again, right, you know, police don't stop every single infraction because there's no way of doing it and you have to have some give to think that you know you think there'd be a little bit more on the other side of the spectrum as far as helping you along as opposed to being so stringent that they literally shut you out of your own business that you 're trying to invest in and trying to, and that neighborhood i mean the work you 're doing with the factory and all those sorts of things it 's easy for me to say, obviously, I know the city as you said has its regulations, but it seemed a bit on the heavy-handed side to, to me personally as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, there it is. But I will ask you this. You mentioned, you know, that the uh, you, you could have lost everything. Um, it's uh, I'm hearing it's great news that you plan to open again uh, the Christmas house as of November 1st this year. Do you have any thoughts about, you know, looking back and recouping any of the revenue that you likely lost as a result of being shut down? I mean, you lost that season, did you not?
2: We did. Uh, we did lose about a week there. Um, which is, you know, you wouldn't think a, a week or a few days is a lot, but during a small two-month mm-hmm. Christmas season, it is a lot. Yeah. Um, it actually makes up, this two months makes up more than 35% wow. of, you know, our yearly revenue. So it it is a very important time for us. I think that it's too early <laughs> to mm-hmm. say. Um, right now, we're just trying to focus. Uh, we just left the court today and found out that it was dropped. And uh, our focus right now is going to be the next project we want to open in the area. And we're going to continue doing uh, the best we can with the city and following the regulations when we're able to find them. <laughs> and yeah. uh, hopefully the communication stays open with the city.
1: Yeah. With us, too. Uh, for the record, and I'll let you go on this. Uh, uh, I did reach out to the city, and they just got back to me with comments a little while ago, which is we won't. Be commenting on the dismissal of the charge. So um, not surprising. I mean, it's a legal issue, and what could they say, really? Um, mm-hmm. But we'll absolutely will uh, with great interest watch the uh, progress of the Urban Market 1919 and Christmas House and those other exciting future endeavors and all that area. What you're doing with the Brookfield Factory, uh, Ivy and Greg Hanley. Thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Great, thank
3: you, Brian. Thank thanks. you, Brian.
1: Thanks a lot. Good luck. All right, that is Ivan Greg Hanley of Urban Market 1919. Won their court case this morning against the city. And uh, Onward and Upward, November 1st, the Christmas House reopening. Uh, it was almost 400 vendors, people that um, sell their wares there as well as, you know, the almost 30 employees, too, that it uh, employs that area. So all good. Moving on. Uh, We're going to take a break here on News Talk. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. All the rest of this
0: week, we will be right back. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM.
1: Brian Callahan back with you on News Talk this afternoon for a Tuesday. Um, let's see. Just going to run to a little bit of um, uh, city council news here in the city this afternoon. We all know, of course, uh, Canada Day coming up on uh, this Saturday. And, um, but it's also bittersweet for us here in Newfoundland, of course, uh, it being Memorial Day as well. And um, the first, I guess, the uh, tradition has been to have the first uh, half of the day at the War Memorial, of course. Um, recognizing the ultimate sacrifice that our soldiers paid in World War I, but of course for Beaumont Hamel, and and um, and it, it's an odd day because in the rest of the day is a celebration of Canada Day. Um, but it's not just that. And uh, it also, July 1st, also marks um, the date in 1923 when the Chinese Exclusion Act came into effect. And, you know, all these things should be recognized for all Canadians. Chinese, Canadian, uh, you know, you name it. For all of those significant events and those dates, and uh, of course, the Chinese Exclusion Act replaced uh, the ridiculous so-called head tax. Before that, anyway, um, you know, there will be um, uh, an event uh, this Monday. This uh, sorry, this Saturday, July first, to also recognize that. And um, Councillor Jill Bruce and uh, Deputy Mayor uh, Sheila O'Leary um, pined on that uh, just a short time ago at City Council.
4: Recently I was at an event at Mon and I met Mr. Gordon Jin, I know we've heard his name here before and I think uh, Deputy Mayor O'Leary has done a significant amount of work with him in the past. Um, we just chatted about different things and he, throughout the conversation he spoke about the significance of July 1st as it relates to the Chinese people of Canada. I found it extremely interesting, it's something I wasn't aware of before um, in the detail that he was able to provide. So. He reached out to myself and Deputy Mayor O'Leary um, and asked if maybe we could just, you know, kind of pass this along to the public. So in the absence of Deputy Mayor when she was off, I agreed to do bring this forward. So. As I mentioned, this Saturday, July 1st, is Canada Day. Not much is known, however, but the same day, uh, and the same month and the day in 1923 when the Canadian government and of its day abolished the Chinese head tax and in its place imposed the 1923 Chinese Exclusion Act. There's a racist piece of legislation banned, uh, that banned the immigration of Chinese people into this country for a period of 24 years. All Chinese persons living in Canada, even those born here, had to register with the government or risk fines, detainment, or deportation. The act impeded family uh, family reunification, community development, social integration, and economic equality. Chinese men and women successfully challenged this law leading to its repeal in 1947, and families, but, however, during that time, families were torn apart never to be reunited again. So this year marks the 100th anniversary, so Catherine Clement, a curator, and her team have pieced together a one-of-a-kind commemorative, commemorative, sorry, exhibit, ex- entitled the paper trail to the 1923 Chinese Exclusion Act to be unveiled in Vancouver Chinatown on July 1st, 2023. And again, it marks the 100th anniversary. The team have collected over 600 pieces of immigration documents from Chinese immigrant families from coast to coast that will reflect a time in our country when the Chinese had to pay a head tax and then afterwards when they were no longer welcomed under the Chinese Exclusion Act. At least 10 Newfoundland Chinese head taxpayers are part of the 600 immigration documents put put on display. Mr. Gordon Jinn's father's head tax documents are, that were issued to him in St. John's, Newfoundland in the fall of 20, 1931 are part of this exhibit. So I guess the, I found this again very interesting and I think like we can't, it's like a lot of the other things that have happened. We can't change history but we need to, I think it's our role to inform and to educate our current and future generations of what took place in this country 100 years ago to ensure that things like this don't happen again, and I'd like to thank him for sharing this information with me, and uh, so I could I could share it with others. So thank you.
5: And thank you, Councillor Bruce, for bringing all that information forward. I'm really excited about this exhibition. Uh, obviously, July 1st is a is a a day where there's going to be a lot of activities. Of course, we've got Memorial Day first and foremost here in Newfoundland and Labrador, um, and of course celebrations for Canada Day to, for our union with Canada which is a wonderful celebration, but it's complicated. And so July 1st, of course, that commemoration uh, is extremely important. And um, you know, I'd like to thank Dr. Gordon Jin for his incredible amount of work that he does in terms of public education on this, because a lot of people don't know. And so thank you, Council Bruce, for bringing that forward. Um, Robert Hong is also another community member who's very proactive in ensuring that we remember Uh, the injustices uh, to the Chinese community and he also uh, brought forward a really interesting paper that was uh, written by Miriam Wright uh, at the University of Windsor. It's called uh, it was published in spring of 2021. So anybody who's avidly interested in history, the Department of History at the University of Windsor, um, this paper was published. It's called The Most Modern Dining Hall in the City. Chinese Immigrants, Restaurants and Social Spaces in St. John's Newfoundland. And it's from the years 1918 to 1945. So I, I printed it off because I'm trying to again to educate myself, just as Council Bruce has mentioned, and um, really interesting information about the Chinese community during that time frame uh, in our city. So if anybody's interested, uh, again, that's Miriam White, and it's a paper that was written in spring of 2021. And thank you to Robert Hong for bringing that forward.
1: That is uh, St. John's Deputy Mayor Sheila Larry there before her, Councillor Jill Bruce, um, both speaking about, you know, the significance of, of um of Canada day not just because it's Canada day and not just because of Beaumont Hamill but of course for the Chinese Exclusion act as well the anniversary of that um, none of which uh, that history should ever be forgotten we're close up to the news at the bottom of the half uh, bottom of the hour here now on news talk I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain all week coming up uh, out of that we'll um, check in uh, with yet another critical mineral that we have lots of that the world wants lots of and uh, looking like yet another little uh so-called not gold but a gold mine of sorts we'll talk about that after the half hour uh let's uh, take it to the news and i'll be back right after the break <laughs>
0: Join Greg Smith weeknights at five forty-five as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration, shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your V O C M.
1: Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain all week. Um, turning now to uh, some mineral exploration. I know, real hot topic, but uh, but seriously, folks. Um, Primeador, our own environmentor spoke with uh, Yvonne Jones today. And this goes back to, you may recall, there's um, the Scully Mine in Labrador, in Lab West, uh, just north of Wabush. Uh, it shut down in 2014. Iron ore, we know, is a pretty cyclical uh, industry. Uh, prices vary just almost more so than crab. But um, uh, it uh, it can have its ups and its downs. And in 2014, the Scully Mine um, did shut down. Um, and shut down for some period of time before Tacora Resources came along, uh, pumped some new life into it in 2017, 2018, and it has been work running ever since. Uh, but there seems to be um, a new opportunity, and it does seem to be every week uh, almost a new mineral that's come along that uh, we have lots of and that the world seems to need, and especially in this uh, changing environment due to electrification and batteries and and uh, the value of, say, of the nickel that's coming out of Boises or uh, the floor spare that's coming out of St. Lawrence even. There's always been good markets for that, but uh, there were issues with getting it to those markets and, of course, through the pandemic. But now, manganese seems to be the hot one. Um, you know, for years, they've been extracting that to make iron ore pure, better a, a better quality iron ore. Now they're talking about green steel and removing all those sorts of different types of uh, minerals that um, would purify the steel even more and uh, make it better for the environment to produce. But um, manganese has been taken out a while and stockpiled and never really used and th- thought of really as just an annoyance and an extra cost to uh, exclude from the iron ore. But it turns out all that manganese is going to be wor- is worth something. And uh, Tacora is going to make the most of it and um, uh, and develop it and, uh, and sell it. Uh, but uh, don't let me tell you about it. Let's listen to Yvonne Jones speaking to uh, Brian uh, Medor earlier today.
6: Over the years, over five decades, in fact, they've been stockpiling um, the, uh, the residue of it and, a, and, a, and the reserves. So now is an opportunity to look at how that can be separated and processed into a new mining opportunity. As you know, in Newfoundland and Labrador, we have 24 of the critical minerals that Canada will require and the world will require. And most all of those, of course, are in various regions of Labrador, one of them being manganese. So we're partnering with Decor Resources so that they can look at the feasibility, the types of technology, um, and see how we can proceed to start uh, processing manganese in uh, in the scully mines in Wabush. So that was the intent of the uh, agreement that we've announced today, and we're very hopeful and optimistic that the results will be in our favour. It's kind of ironic because going back to the mid-90s when I was in the House of Assembly, there was a large lobby by Wabush Mines, um, you know, to separate the manganese and to get rid of it because it was bringing down the value of the ore, making it more costly to produce iron ore and now today we're back looking at how we can take the manganese out of the, that stockpiled uh, uh, discard that has been there for a long time. So we're excited about it.
7: So MP Jones, not only would the manganese come into play and, and be a critical mineral but it would also improve the quality quality of the iron ore do I understand?
6: It would improve the quality of the iron ore as well so you would see boat operations uh, proceeding there Um, so you know it's not going to have an impact or downsize the iron ore uh, mining activity at all in fact it's only going to enhance it and make it a, a higher grade ore to put into the market. And at the same time, as we are decarbonizing industry uh, across Canada and we're seeing the automotive industry becoming more electrified as well as other technology shifts, there is a tremendous demand for ma- for manganese and we have an abundance of it. Uh, discarded in Labrador West over the last five decades that we're now ready to tackle that pile and see if we can uh, develop a a high-quality product of manganese for the world market.
7: Uh, Do we have any idea what uh, eventuality we would see? It says uh, that there would be a separate plant or a separate facility for the manganese. Do we know what that might entail?
6: Well, our investment today of $1.25 two five million into the partnership with Decor is to look at those options, but uh, obviously it will require a new setup, a new mining process. And uh, you know the these uh, the research that will happen right now will look at several things. One thing, the, the grade of the ore, which on the surface it looks like the manganese there is well over uh, 90% manganese, so it should be an easy process uh, to be able to separate it from what's left and and to mine the uh, discarded piles. But at the same time, it will in- involve new technology, uh, new infrastructure investments, and it will create jobs. And this is where we're seeing the, the real upside uh, for the investment that the Government of Canada is making today.
7: MP Yvonne Jones, in the mining sector, it's uh, high technology. Perhaps, you know, we haven't really seen a whole lot of that in, in our mining industry over the, the past while. It's kind of been, you know, uh, drills and, and uh, drag lines kind of thing, uh, is, is this kind of into the new era of combining uh, technology, high-tech with uh, a traditional industry?
6: Oh, absolutely. We are moving in a completely different direction as we start to cut our carbon front footprint, industry starts signing on to reduce pollution in our operations, and every mining company in Labrador to date has signed on to net zero Um, carbon production by 2050 so we're seeing a huge shift in technology in skill set and and in return uh, both for the environment and for the companies in the shifts that are happening right now we're excited about this if this is to proceed of course there's a lot of other variables including power supply in the lab west as you know, uh, every uh, kilowatt of power going into Wabush and Lab City right now is totally absorbed. So it will we will need to improve the um, electricity grid to ensure that there's more power going into the region to be able to substantiate uh, a manganese mining operation. Uh, But this is all part and parcel of the uh, research and the study that is going to be conducted. They will identify what those variables are, what the infrastructure needs are going to be. And then it's going to be up to all of us uh, to work together to make that happen. And if if this manganese proceeds, it will be the first of its kind uh, in the country that we're aware of. So we're excited that Labrador is on the cutting edge of New mineral development and uh, supplying critical minerals to the market.
1: Yeah, is it ever? That's uh, MP Yvonne Jones there uh, talking to VOCN's Brian Medor about uh, uh, Takora Resources' plan now to make the most of the manganese that's uh, taken out of the iron ore to make um, to you know a whole different plant, a whole different mill, and the uh, looking into the feasibility of of uh, what they call manganese sulfate purification. And, uh, and a, you know, a plant that would remove it and the silica from their products resulting in what they say is a higher grade ore. Um, uh, let's see, Joe Breaking, I believe, the president and CEO of Tacora, says they're working on becoming a major contributor to the global critical mineral supply using it. So uh, yet another critical mineral that looks like it uh, is in great demand, and we have it. So, uh Um, Yeah, the minerals, uh, you know, say what you want about our fishery and green hydrogen and oil and gas and uh, the minerals are right up there as well. It's coming up to break time here on News Talk. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. We will be right back. Your
0: voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation.
2: If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day.
0: Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Brian Callahan back with you
1: this Tuesday afternoon. And joining me now is the uh, lovely and talented
8: Richard Duggan. How are you this afternoon, sir? Brian, I'm doing a lot better now that I know Alex Newhook is with the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens. I <laughs> I was at the event that we're going to talk about today, and one of the government's comms people came up to me, and he showed me that on Twitter, and I, I tell you what, I lit up. I'm so happy as a Habs fan today, That's yep. it's the good news for us, right? So I'll call, my,
1: I'm a Habs fan today, okay. No, I mean, I was a Ken Dryden fan, so mm-hmm. I, I grew up, watching, you know, we had the Leafs and the Habs. That's all we had. That's mm-hmm. how old I am. It was either one or the other on a Saturday night, so you were flicking back and forth all the time. So I was a good Fan. I wasn't a Habs or a Leafs fan. It was either Mike Palmatier or Ken Dryden, and I loved Ken Dryden. So. But this is just great news. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, it's, we know just from seeing uh, Alex play, you know, the playoffs, just standout performance in there, he's always, if he touches the puck, something's going to happen. It's mm-hmm. so exciting always to watch him, his speed and, uh, you know, just the way he controls himself on the ice. And now to be able to see it regularly, During regular season games, not just when the Habs happen to be playing the Avalanche or something like that. Oh, it's gonna be great. All we need now is Dawson Mercer going to Toronto. Right, let's start yeah, that there rumor. There you go. Yeah. Oh my Anyway, goodness. let's get on to where you were today. Uh you were at HMP. I'm sorry to hear.
8: So, guilty or not guilty? I I, I shouldn't You joke, know I what? Suppose. That is still that is still to be determined, Brian. Yeah, preliminary <laughs> inquiry. <laughs> yeah. Um, um but seriously, let's mm-hmm. uh okay, let's get serious. So, this was called Yeah, so this is the opening of the Phoenix Garden out in the I guess you'd call it the, the courtyard area of the penitentiary. So um, if I'm standing in front of the building, it would be to my left or the right or the... It's, yeah. And I guess it would be the... Yeah, it's, it's overlooking the pond, you know, that, that big open area that they have in there. Right. Um, yeah, their little activity area. Yeah. Um, that's where it's to. And um, so there's two, I guess, separate sections to this. First, right. they have like a greenhouse slash gardening slash picnic area. Um, and then they have a meditation garden that's down just a little bit further from that Mm -hmm. Um, and today was essentially the grand opening of that Um, and you know they have uh, several of the inmates that are at HMP they're participating in this program and it's really about giving them uh, a little bit of a mental break because you know anyone who is in prison regardless of of what they're in for or the status of, of their situation it is mentally trying on them you know and Um, So this is sort of a space where they can have that sort of a mental break, and they talked a lot today about the benefits of gardening and how, um, you know, this this is really beneficial to help keeping their spirits up and you know it's been talked about before and government has acknowledged that HMP is not in the best condition to put Mm -hmm. it mildly Um, and they are looking at replacing the facility and you know we they had some of uh, the inmates were out there today who participated in the program and a couple of them did did talk about how you know it's tough being on on the inside of those walls and they don't get out a whole lot and this is sort of a little bit of an escape for them and um, the purpose of the program is of course to get them out get them learning some new skills while they're inside to, to hopefully try to aid in the rehabilitation process um, so that's sort of what the garden is about uh, again they have the big beautiful greenhouse that's there as well as the meditation garden where it's just from standing there today you know it, it's a fairly nice day out the sun was beating down on us while we were out there and i could see how that could be quite a relaxing place so that's sort of the cole's notes of what we were there for today and and what we were doing yeah and i i have to agree i mean okay and Anything that can
1: distract from the surroundings of that building, Mm -hmm. I've been in there several times and only for for brief moments to, to, you know, interviews and tours, played a ball hockey game there, media against the the prisoners once. Really? That was a memorable experience some other time, story four. Uh, But yeah, uh, anything to distract and anything, and I mean it's at least, new prisons at least another two or three years out. So Mm -hmm. uh, anything like this that can be added to that place for now to make it somewhat more of a relief on the brain, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with. You also brought along some tape, um, and I understand there were some inmates around as well taking part today. A couple of them spoke uh, to media, and another, if you want to stick around for a minute, it's kind of an interesting uh, conversation you have with one of the inmates if uh, people want to stick around. But there's um, some uh, tape you brought back, and this is uh, starting off with um, an HMP officer, and then we'll identify the others uh, when we come out of the tape.
7: I'd just like to thank everybody for uh, showing up today and taking part in this uh, group. It's a very, very uh, this horticultural program with the Phoenix Garden Project. is a really, really good program for the offenders here and uh, I really appreciate the work that uh, Jan and everybody's doing to make this place uh, work so welcome to HMP.
9: I don't have anything prepared I just wanted to speak to the history of this program uh, Phoenix Gardens started because uh, the Centre for Applied Health Research at Memorial University, where I am privileged to work, hosts a group of gardeners who are interested in horticultural therapy and that group is convened by Jan Bewley who's with the Faculty of Education and Tim Walsh from Botanical Gardens participates and all of the people involved in Phoenix uh, Garden Project are participants in this program which is trying to figure out why growing things is good for you and the connection between nature and health and why it feels good for your mental health to be out digging in the soil, watching things grow, nurturing plants and looking after them. So we hosted a little get together with a prison on the opposite side of the continent, San Quentin prison in California, had a prison garden program uh, that we hosted back in 2018 or 2019, before the pandemic anyway. And um, at the time, uh, one of the members of the horticultural group said, you know, I've got a team at HMP who might really benefit from hearing from the um, participants in that gardening program in San Quentin in California. So we all gathered through Zoom and uh, after that presentation, it became apparent that this was something, thank you Susan Green, that we might want to start here at HMP and that's how the Phoenix Garden program began. And I guess the biggest most thrilling part of the program for me was the opportunity to meet with the inside gardeners on a regular basis and ask them how they wanted the program to look what they wanted to do and one of the first things we did was to design a Phoenix Garden logo and this was actually designed by the inside gardeners here at HMP and became the branding for this little program Uh, and they said where friends can be themselves. That was the, the byline for the program and it's just been wonderful to watch the roots go down and I mean all the gardening metaphors things sprouting up but uh, one of the biggest things that's sprouting up I think is a sense of connection to the people who live inside here and I think it's really important for members of our community to recognize the humanity in the people who are are, uh, living here in HMP and to support that with uh, programs like this one that enable them to get out in the fresh air to, uh, to smell that gorgeous Newfoundland air and, uh, and grow some things, uh, both inside and outside. So thanks everyone.
10: I've, I work at the Botanical Garden on Nuts Road, Department of Memorial University. And uh, I've been in horticulture for 34 years now. And uh, I think I got interested in horticulture right from the start because it made me feel good. When I was a teenager, I used to build gardens in my hometown in Kingman's Cove for my mother and I made connections with other people in the community by sharing plants from their garden to my mother's garden and it kind of literally pardon the pun it grew and grew and here it is <laughs> that's was good wasn't it and here it is 33 <laughs> years later and uh, and I'm I'm so fortunate to have had a wonderful career in horticulture and I see every day the benefit of being in horticulture being in nature and how working with plants and having your hands in soil and being outside and taking something from the tiniest little seed to its maturity whether that's a tree or a tomato or a lettuce plant or something like that when you harvest something that you've grown yourself And you've done it in in the vegetable world you've done it in one season in Newfoundland in this really small season really short season it's a pretty powerful tool and it gives us lots of wonderful metaphors for growing for nurturing for caring for something and for bringing it to a maturity a healthy maturity and so I know that from speaking to the guys uh, when we come in each Monday that their opportunity to be involved in this program is really beneficial to them. Because they do spend a lot of time indoors. And even the weather outside in Newfoundland is not that great, so they don't get to get out that often. So when we do get a chance to get outside, when we do get our hands in the soil, when we're growing plants, when we're, when we're transplanting things, um, it makes us all feel good. And so I'm proud of this program. I'm proud of every, all the work that everybody did. But you know what? I'm mostly proud of the guys. Because they they come in every week and they're ready to be a part of this program, and so well done. Thank you, well done. Thank you very.
1: Several of the speakers there down at um, in the HMP uh space down around the yard outdoors today for well Richard uh, Jug
8: and you were there what um, what was it called again this was the this was the Phoenix, Phoenix Garden Fair. yeah and again this is just an area for the inmates uh the term that they used today was the inside gardeners to go out and uh, essentially get their green thumbs while they're dealing with what they're dealing with uh in HMP and you know it, which can be
1: pretty therapeutic and,
8: and uh, oh absolutely mental health, yeah. of course and again the uh Justice Minister John Hogan when he spoke he said that you know this is one of the th- one of the things that we're trying to do to help improve the conditions inside HMP and Built towards rehabilitation because
7: yeah, just,
8: just, just taking someone and throwing them behind bars, and they said that's not working. Yeah. So th- this is steps that they're doing to try to correct that. And that building needs all the help it can get. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, there were inmates out schmoozing
1: with the media as well as um, the minister. Mm-hmm. One of those, um, uh, a man charged with second-degree murder, Sheldon Hibbs. We know his na- uh, name from the—there um, was a, uh, a homicide— Uh, two years ago now behind or next to Waterford Valley High in the west end of St. John's and a man was was killed, and uh, he's been charged with second-degree murder. But he was there today in, as mm-hmm. part of these Inside Gardeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I
8: understand he may have even—he spoke with media for a bit, did he not? He did speak with media, and, and before that, he was speaking with Justice Minister John Hogan. So mm-hmm. while the event was going on, uh, he made his way over, and I noticed that he was talking with the Justice yeah. Minister there for a minute. And then afterwards, when we were doing our, our interviews, um, he came over and uh, asked if he could speak with us on camera, and, so well. we did and uh, you know he he made his points he he essentially what he said was he wants people to know that he's not a bad person um that was the first thing he said and then he sort of detailed some of the issues yeah. of being in HMP and again we covered some of that before and that has been acknowledged right. by yes. government uh, you know some of the conditions in there and yeah, that no, was one essentially denies, no one denies that that's a, a hard mm-hmm. place to spend any time let alone yeah and it way. was even mentioned to me Brian when I when I walked in there um, we of course we saw the inside of the walls and it was sort of the the blue paint you know right. the prison blue paint and the barbed wire on the walls and so one of the people when I was walking in said "If if if you actually go in further into the prison it's that's basically it that's what it looks like throughout yep. the whole thing, and th- that just gave me the visual of wow that I could see now how that can be really mentally challenging mm-hmm. if that's all you're looking at all day yep. so that's that's sort of what um, Hibbs was getting at when he talked to us again he didn't get into any yep. specifics. he said he's going to tell his story when well, the time's the kid, right, but yeah, and the case mm-hmm. is still to come and I'm sure mm-hmm. his lawyer would have advised him. What not to say or, you know, just
1: nothing that would incriminate. But certainly he wouldn't be the first prisoner to speak out about the conditions. And, you know, a lot of these prisoners do understand that they're in jail and it's not supposed to be, uh, you know, a vacation. Mm-hmm. And jails are not nice places, but pen is another level altogether. And I think everyone agrees with that. Richard Duggan, thanks so much today for dropping in and uh, hanging out till the end of the show. We are at the end of News Talk for this Tuesday afternoon. I'm Brian Callaghan in for Linda Swain all this week. Um, I'll see you again tomorrow.